So anything else just doesn't even come close. But God, help stir in us a spirit of giving, a willingness to serve, uh, desire to give back and to connect and contribute here in the Grace Life community. Because we know that every single thing that we do brings honor and glory to you, and you will use it to make your name great, not only in our town, but in this world. In the name of your son, amen. Amen. That was riveting announcements. Great job. You only like it because I ask people for money. I don't have to do it when you do it. Thank you. Um, I'm Joe Davis, the pastor here at Grace Life. Uh, we're continuing with our series on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you see there we called it Mark the Evangelist. For those of you that aren't following Mark the Evangelist on Twitter, shame on you. He's got some fantastic tweets um, that are up there. So if you haven't followed him yet, you make sure you do it. Um, this is week six of our study already. And it's a scary thing, right? Because it's week six and we're still in chapter one. <laughs> this could go to 2022, I'm just saying. The name of this message this week is Calling Dr. Jesus. So it seems to me the things people are most interested in about Jesus, other than the gospel, are his miracles of healing. Nothing gets people, especially God's people, more excited about Jesus like a good old-fashioned miracle, especially like the one we see in today's passage. But the question is, why did Jesus heal people? Sometimes in just massive amounts at one time. Was it just out of pure love for the sick? Because there are some sick that he didn't heal. Well, that's not fair. Is it possible that we have gotten this whole healing thing all wrong? That when God heals, it's not primarily for our personal benefit? Is it possible that a lack of healing might be just as important as healing? So in the Gospel of Mark... Chapter 1, verse 29 to 39. Let me read this. This is what's been going on. He just did that thing at the synagogue last week where he preached a great sermon, and then he healed the guy with, who was demon-possessed, and now he's going for lunch because he's hungry after church. <laughs> and immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. That's basically Peter's house. <clears throat> now Simon, Peter's mother-in-law, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And then she began to serve them. Understand, there's no Advil in these days. <laughs> we'll get to more on that later. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. They all want to be healed. You didn't finish the job, Jesus. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
So at Grace Life, we look at three applications. The history, what about man? What did he do? The spiritual, what about God? What does he do? And then the devotional, what about me? What about us? What do we do? I want to talk about lunch at Pete's house. So after church, just like we will do, most of us, after church, they head to Peter's house. Jesus probably was staying there while he's in Capernaum, his first kind of real public display of ministry. And this is a picture of Peter's house. These are the ruins of Peter's house. I've been there. Um, it's actually massive. This gives you an insight about how successful Peter was and what kind of nets he actually had to put down when Jesus said, follow me. Pete had some money. It was a big house. It had several apartments. And you see here, Simon, is, Simon and Andrew, his brother, Simon is Peter and Andrew, they lived there with their families. So all extended family lived there. It's a large house with a big plaza and a courtyard in the middle. And the ruins actually showed that there were several kitchens, not just one or two, like four or five. There's millstones for grain. There's stairways that led to the rooftops and maybe even more dwellings. It's less than a mile from church, from the synagogue where Jesus had been preaching. And what we have found in those ruins is graffiti in several languages that was on the stones indicates that it was a very popular place for Christians to gather going back to the first century. So Peter's house became a famous place. These guys that were following Jesus were not homeless paupers. They were successful. They left a lot behind, risking life, limb, and fortune to follow this new rabbi. So I just want you to understand where they're at. And that's why the whole town could be outside of his house because, well, his house is like a city block. So now we see there's a sick mother-in-law. Obviously, then, we know that Peter was married. We tend to think all these guys were just single dudes roaming around the countryside, you know, <laughs> with dirty feet and everything, you know. That's not who they were. As a matter of fact, there were several apostles whose wives traveled with their husbands as they were preaching surrounding areas. Matter of fact, Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So I just want to make sure you understand these weren't single guys. They had families, children. But now to the fever. A fever in the first century is not like a fever now. Medical, people don't realize this, medical technology really couldn't heal anyone until about 1885. Did you know that? I mean, if you got a disease, it was kind of a bad thing because in this time, they're clueless about microbiology, viruses, bacteria. They have no idea what these things are. A fever was a complete, scary mystery. There's no Advil. There's no Terraflu. There's no walk-in clinic. It's a serious medical condition. People would either get better on their own or languish and die. She has a very high fever. It's so bad she can't get up. She's laying down. And this is very concerning to Peter. And Peter's wife and Shirley... This is weighing on Peter as he's seeing all this happen. By the way, Jesus, can you help me with something? 
my wife is my wife's mother is really sick. So Jesus arrives at Peter's house and immediately he gets to work healing Peter's wife's mother. She's sick. Laying down, he takes her by the hand. She rises up immediately. No lingering fatigue. Well, yeah, I'm feeling better, but I'm a little bit dizzy. No, it's perfect, complete, utter healing. And immediately, what does she do? She starts cooking and serving everyone food. Like she was never even sick. This didn't happen with sickness then. If you got better, it might take weeks to get back to full strength. And you can imagine how grateful and excited Peter's mother-in-law is. And she was probably very motivated to serve Jesus, especially Jesus, because of what he's just done. So let's get this right, right? In half a day, Jesus preaches the best sermon ever, casts out demons in church, and heals Peter's wife's mother from a mysterious mystery. I do that every week. It's no big deal. (laughs) What the big deal is. But I'll tell you this, I know after I'm done preaching at Grace Life, I'm just too exhausted to heal people. I usually make you wait till Tuesday, you know? I need to rest. But what Jesus does is he displays authority over truth and spirits and now the physical world, all of it. And then that day, that's just since lunch, you know, from the morning to lunch, that day, word starts to spread of his power and his authority And people start lining up at sundown outside of Peter's house to be healed. So why? Why did they wait till sundown? Why did they just come right out of church? Well, the football game was on, of course. They needed to wait till after the game. No, that's not why. Here's what happened. The scribes said, hey, you cannot heal on the Sabbath. You got to wait till Sabbath is over. Jesus even bypassed this in his ministry. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Immediately, he bypassed their authority in the synagogue and he bypasses their authority in healing. But yet all these people are still under the burden and authority of religion, telling them how they have to do certain things. They could have come earlier, but they waited till sundown. Some of them would pay the price for that later. But now he's healing in droves, casting out panicked demons commanding them not to speak because he wants to avoid Roman attention. Any self-proclaimed Messiah would get attention and would be met with swift action from the Roman authorities because they had heard that Jews were talking about this Messiah who would be a leader that would overthrow them. So whenever somebody says, hey, I'm Messiah, the Romans would kill him. So we cast out the demons. Don't talk. Just get out. Zip it and leave. But then I want you to see what happens. We're done here. The next morning before sunrise, Jesus goes off by himself and he's praying. Yet the people are still lining up in droves to be healed. It is a ridiculous scene. The disciples say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Luke says in his gospel, they tried to keep Jesus from leaving Capernaum. Well, of course they would. It's their hometown. These are their family and their friends they want to see healed. Wouldn't we? Of course we would. Jesus, can you just stay here? Don't go to Bradenton. They don't need you. Stay here. (laughs) Heal us here in Sarasota. We got Sarasota Memorial. It's full. 
Jesus, this is a chance to make a big splash. Everyone will know the message is true. Let's do this, Jesus. Don't leave. Let's just knock it out right now. Bam, done. Jesus says, no. Tell them I'm done healing in Capernaum. They can follow me to the next town if they want. But I need to preach to others who haven't heard yet. That's why I came here in the first place. Not to be a healer, to be a proclaimer of truth. That's why I did all this. So that's the history. Let's look at the spiritual part, the purpose of healing. First of all, I want you to see that there is nothing like what's happening here. There are limited stories of healing in the Old Testament. I found like six cases, just doing a quick perusal of my own. Half of them were making barren wombs able to bear children. Of the six, three were that. And frankly, most Old Testament healing was primarily to reserve or preserve the bloodline of Jesus in a miraculous way. Whether it was a womb or getting favor with leaders who were healed so they would protect God's people, most of it was to protect the bloodline of Jesus. But this particular type of mass healing, hundreds and hundreds of people, it's never happened before. Never anything close to the scale, the diversity, and the quality. Never before and never since. So there's nothing like this. It's something brand new. And Jesus is in charge of all of it. And think about this. These sincere people in Capernaum show up for healing. But many of them aren't healed. I mean, Jesus is right there. Why can't he just do it? It's so unfair. Well, the fact is, he didn't come to just heal people. He came to preach his message of hope and salvation to as many as possible. You know, Jesus is a smart guy. He knew the crowds would come for healing the next day. But that was the whole point. He understands human nature and he works with it. He knows that these healings will be a draw. People will want to see it. People will want to experience it. People will want it for themselves. But he is in complete control of who, where, when, as well as the narrative with the demons. And it's all for one purpose. He is doing this. He is proving who he is, the authority that he has. He has done it for his priorities, his strategy, and his timetable. He's in charge of it. And he has kingdom motives. You see, this display, this miraculous mass healing display was not about healing. Just like the synagogue, it's about affirming his absolute control and authority. People witness his power, and one day they would see that and remember and be able to believe in the story of the resurrection, his power over the grave. So while in the Old Testament, these miracles of healing were primarily to preserve the line of Jesus... Now it's to expand a kingdom. The people in the region of Galilee have seen a great light, just as Isaiah said they would. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. That's what happened here. Isaiah talked about it. 
That alone was the reason and the purpose for the healing and the casting to display the light of life to those in that particular region at that particular time. And now it's on to the next place the light needs to shine. They want healing? Fine. They're going to have to put down their nets and follow him. So let's talk about the personal. I want to talk about healing with a purpose. This was the uh, social media thing this week that I put up. When you pray for healing, what is your primary motivation? That's a scary one, isn't it? So does Jesus still heal people today? Well, the short answer is yes, of course he does. But the answer better not stop there. Well, narcissistically, we want it to stop there. But there's so much more. The fact is, our world is filled with people that are suffering with illness and sickness and injury. We've all been affected by this one way or another, either personally or people we love. Let's be real. We are in a petri dish of ailments, diseases, physical, mental, emotional, surrounded by people needing healing, and we are of the same mind as they are. By nature, and God made us this way, this desire and and willingness and desire to survive, by nature we have an ingrained natural self-preservation view of healing from God. And that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's sinful. That's natural. It's the way God created us to want to live But honesty compels us to admit that our primary motivation when we pray with hope for healing from Jesus is that we desire a miracle from God, something Jesus certainly can do for us. And it's okay to think that way. It's the same motivation to those who came to Peter's house, right? They weren't coming to hear a message. They were coming to be healed. They're desperate. It's a chance they have to take. But what about when the answer is no? A lot of people in that town did not get the healing they came to see that day. Matter of fact, even the apostle Paul prayed for healing, and he didn't receive it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. He's talking about his physical ailment, that it was sent to him so he would be humbled. He says, I have all these revelations from God, and it's very easy for me to get arrogant about it. And so I have this ailment, and three times I pleaded for God about this, that it would leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, this is Paul saying this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, my physical ailments, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship." persecution and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong Paul says look I have this physical ailment this thing this thing hurts me daily it's painful I don't like it but I know that God sent it because I was getting a little cocky about all the things he was revealing to me in spiritual truth but he sent it to me to be humbled that's what it says in the prior passage but I still asked him if he would take it away and he says no my grace is sufficient you don't need me to heal you Because in your weakness, my purpose is more greatly fulfilled than in your strength. So how does Jesus heal? 
So let me just start off with a little bit of venting. One of the things I hate the most are these manipulative faith healers claiming that they have been specially given the power and the authority just like Jesus. They ask for money, manipulate desperate people. Their message is false in two main ways. The first way it's false is I have the authority of Jesus. Um, no, you don't. Their second lie, healing is for the benefit of the healed. Um, no, it's not. With them, healing is just another iteration of the prosperity gospel. If you just believe enough, it will happen. I remember a family that I was ministering to when I first moved back to Sarasota. They were telling me a story about how they had a daughter who had brain cancer. She was six or seven years old. And it was getting bad, and, and a faith healer came to see them in the hospital because they called and said, will you come and heal our daughter? And so they, the faith healer came and prayed and, and healed, and a week passed, and they said, you know, our daughter isn't healed yet. Well, that's your fault because you didn't have enough faith to heal your daughter, so if she dies, it's your fault. That's what the faith healer told them. It happens more often than you think. Let me tell you something. If you are a faith healer, if you have the gift of healing, I got an idea. Go to the hospital unannounced. Start going room to room and just start healing for free. You know how Jesus healed? He healed without fanfare. No commercials. No requests for donation. No posturing. No dancing around. No yelling. No histrionics. There's no sick, twisted, ritualistic convulsions or man-made methodology. All he used was pure, unfiltered, Authority. Be healed. Lead demons. Zip it. That's how Jesus heals. Now, why does he heal? Just like in today's story, why does Jesus heal some and not others? Imagine how those coming the next morning, the next day, felt when they realized, oh my gosh, we missed our window. We know we can do it, and we're going to be left out of it. We missed the train. Do you think they were discouraged? Disappointed? Think they felt guilty? Why didn't I just come right after church? Why did I wait till the stupid sundown? Why did I let these scribes rob me of my blessing? Let me tell you something. The best protection against disappointment with unanswered prayer is understanding why Jesus heals in the first place. The purpose is always the same, church, and it's not merely to satisfy the desires of his children, although that can be part of the process. Do you hear me? Healing is about the kingdom. But the fact is, some will suffer for the kingdom, while some may be healed for the kingdom. But in the end, it's still about the kingdom. Healing is a part of God's plan For the rest of his children, he is calling out of darkness into light. I take you back to the Isaiah verse. That's the purpose. Our healing and our suffering is part of our participation in the fulfillment of his kingdom, his calling of his children for salvation and hope and redemption and forgiveness and restoration. That's why he heals. That's why. And when does he heal? See, this is the part 
that humanly speaking, we probably struggle with the most. See, God is wise in how he reveals himself and when. So let's not demand that he start to act on our own timetable, shall we? I mean, God chooses when and where to reveal his salvation to his elect, to his chosen, and when he will call them out of darkness into light, when he will give them the gift of faith. It's his deal. Some people showed up at Peter's house that day after the synagogue and weren't healed. They just missed it. But is there a time perhaps that our suffering and illness could be unjust? Why can't Jesus just heal everyone? What other explanation is there as to why Jesus doesn't always heal? Is he mean? Is he playing games? Is it like the hidden shell thing? <clears throat> when it comes to healing, we have to understand something. There is something so much bigger going on than what we can wrap our puny little brains around. It's so much bigger than what human eyes can see, what human minds can understand. And in this life, it is so easy for us to say, God, what are you thinking? Maybe not out loud, but we think it in our head. But in heaven, here's what's great. In heaven, we won't say, God, what were you thinking? In heaven, those questions will no longer linger. We will be satisfied whether we are healed on earth or not. There are several in our church right now who need healing. And of course we desire healing for you. We love you. And just like I'm sure Peter and the gang loved Pete's mother-in-law and all their friends in Capernaum and their neighbors, they all knew each other. It's just like that for us. And we should, and we do pray for healing. But we know why Jesus heals. So people will see his power and his authority. So I want to talk about prayer for healing at Grace Life. See, this is, church, this is the crux of living by faith. Just because you live by faith doesn't mean you get earthly healing. It does mean, however, you receive eternal life. Aren't you glad? And so when we pray for healing... We are going to ask God to heal, but we're also going to ask God to expand our motivation to include glorifying Jesus and his ministry and the expansion of his kingdom. That includes both the possibility of healing and the possibility of suffering. See, we aren't just seeking personal miracles in the kingdom of Jesus. What we really want is greater impact in the kingdom of Jesus. We are praying our need for healing will broaden our need. Notice I said our need for healing 
Maybe we're healed, maybe we're not. We don't know what God's plan is. We can't wrap our head around it. But we're praying that our need for healing will broaden our role in his plan to call others into light. So we're going to do something a little different today. I'm just going to take several minutes as your friend and as your pastor. And I'm just going to pray for some healing. With the motivation that our need for healing expands our impact. Dad, we want to be healed. And we want those who we love to be healed. You made us that way. That's how you designed us, to desire healing. So we embrace that. We don't feel guilty about that. And so we do ask that if it's your will and it fits your plan and it fits your motives and your timing and your motivation if you give us the privilege of healing we will celebrate it and not consume it for our own blessing and benefit but that you would give within us a fire to transform our kingdom activity that what we experience would expand our effectiveness But yet at the same time, we think of your prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For those of us who need healing, whether it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's a disease of addiction. We confess that we need healing. But we also know that it might be your will that just our public need of healing is what you are going to use to expand our role in the kingdom. Dad, as a pastor, you know my heart. We love our church. We love our people. All week as I'm writing this sermon, you're putting faces into my mind names I know if it was up to me I'd heal them all (laughs) but it's not up to me you're the authority you're the one in charge you know what's best you know that sometimes healing could be the worst thing and so father I pray that you would insert in our human nature, the desire to be healed, insert the supernatural spiritual motivation that perhaps our main motivation could be we just want to be more effective for your kingdom. If that means healing, we will praise you. If it means we suffer, yes, God, We will praise you.
But as pastor, I do ask this. If it's your will, we pray that you would allow us as a church to be a relentless, ridiculous source of comfort and encouragement and provision for those you've been given the gift of needing healing to. Help us to come alongside to love and to care and to provide and encourage and motivate. And we pray that you would give us uncanny wisdom and discernment and insight to know how to use this process of needing healing to expand your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. And we can't wait for the day that we don't have to worry about it anymore. And we have eternal life. And it will all make sense. And instead of saying, what are you thinking, God? We can say, ah, now I know what you are thinking. Good call.